everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Wherever you are, Positively Different Radio, in the morning, you are with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson. Lawson, how was your long weekend? Oh, it was so good. Like, every day was amazing. It, Praise God. It was so good. I, you know... Went to church on Sabbath, which was awesome. Uh, that night, well, it was my friend's birthday that day, and then we went go-karting that night. And it was really funny to see them driving a go-kart because they could, you know, not drive it. <laughs> <laughs> we went go-karting with a bunch of people who had never even driven a car before. And it was... It oh, was that would just, be funny. That you know, would be lots funny. of uh, international students and whatnot who would, you know, they're... they're 18, 19, just moved to Australia, and we've all gone go-karting together, and just, oh, so good. Because uh, the, the, the steering wheel, the steering system on a go-kart is very direct. Yeah, direct, but also difficult. Like, there's yes. no power steering. No. And, you know, you hit a bump or whatever, and the wheel jumps around, and, and so... You've got to hang on to them. It was very, very interesting to watch, uh, but, oh, you know, we went with a group of, like, 15 people. So in the end, it was just so much fun. Nice. Uh, just hanging out with friends. And then Sunday, oh, we had an African feast. Maureen, who we had on the show last week for an interview, she cooked up an African feast and it was incredible. And then other than that, I, I did some work during, you know, public holiday times. And so got paid. So, so listen, time. I am, I am time. living my best life right now. Lyle. What about yourself? Oh, I'm so thankful this morning. I'm thankful for the queen. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yes. Amen. I'm thankful for, because you had a birthday. Oh, true. Yeah, of course. <laughs> What's not to be thankful for the Queen? I think she's just epic. And when she has a birthday, that's even... We rejoice. We, we rejoice. We rejoice. Amen. We have a day off, which is just fantastic. So it was good to have a day off. I worked on my car. Classic. That's such a wild thing to do. I have the gearbox halfway out. Oh, and I wrote half a sermon. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, guess it's through. Let's have a look. So the first story, I only want to cover this really quickly, just because I saw the photo of this situation, and it's the most hilarious thing ever. And we are going to have it up on the Faith FM Facebook. And this is basically it. Uh, basically, yeah, that's pretty classic. That is this so is a raccoon classic. that's got its head stuck in a drain, <laughs> but the drain is round, kind of like in the shape of a. Uh, Japanese rising sun, you might say, with yeah. spokes coming out of it, or a spoked wheel. Mm-hmm. And the raccoon's face is pretty much the hub of this spoked wheel. Yeah, it's just like perfectly snugly fitting out. It almost looks like a a statue or like, but it's just the best thing ever. Anyways, firefighters in Detroit came across this raccoon that was well stuck in this drain. Yes. And see, the thing about raccoons is, that you know how cats have whiskers? Yes. And if, you know, if, like, uh, whatever trying to, the crack they're trying to get through, if it touches their whiskers, they'll just back out and find another way because they're, they're smart. Yes. In, in, yeah. Yes. We, we can agree. Yes. We can yes. agree. We cats can agree. Are, even cats if we don't smart. like them, cats are smart. They are smart. Yes. See, raccoons are just de- desperate cats. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> they'll, they'll touch, you know, the edge of the sides of whatever it may be that they're trying to get through. Um, but they're desperate enough to just send it anyway. And and I, there's many cases of raccoons getting stuck in, like, pipes and all kinds of things. And this is another Tin example cans. of that. Yeah, just, just getting absolutely stuck. It's like the same thing how monkeys, like, monkey traps, they just put a banana in, like, a trap. And the monkey will put its hand in there and it will get trapped. 
and won't be able to pull the banana out, but it'll never let go. That's right. All it has to do is let go of the banana and it's going to come straight out. Yeah, but, but it won't let go of the banana. Yeah, it's the same thing with raccoons. This raccoon in Detroit, um, in the Macomb County, um, it just got absolutely stuck in this drain and the animal control in Macomb County and the Harrison Township Fire Department, they come along, see the raccoon, and they're like, uh, this guy needs help. So, you know, they get the firefighters out there. They're trying a few different methods. Soap. Um, they're like, oh, maybe we could cut it out with an angle grinder. But they're like, oh, that's pretty risky. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to make the steel really hot. And so they're like... I mean, that's, big, that's heavy, heavy cast iron right there. It's probably a couple of inches wide and probably, I don't know, maybe half an inch thick thereabouts. Yeah, it's massively thick. And so they're like, okay, that's not the best idea. And so they just go down the street, knock on someone's door. They're like, hey, do you have cooking oil? The person's like, yep. And they come back with the cooking oil. Put it all over the raccoon and pull it out. There you go. There you go. Oh, it's so funny, man. I, I love that. <laughs> Just the picture. That picture's going to be up on our Facebook as well, Faith FM Australia. I bet he's got, I bet he, I bet he's got sore ears. Oh, man. That was, <laughs> just looks so funny. <laughs> okay. All right. In other news. Oh, in really, really interesting historical news. Lyle, what came first? The chicken or the egg? The chicken. Okay, yeah, that's that's a fair enough answer. God, God spoke the chicken into existence and then laid an egg. Yeah, that, that's like, as a Christian, we have, like, you know, a pretty easy answer to that question. Um, but check this out. These archaeologists have found an egg that is 1,000 years old in near-mint archaeological condition. So, so, okay, if you don't understand the magnitude, 1,000 years for an egg to last is essentially impossible. Like, if you put an egg in a carton and leave it on your front lawn... So was this thing fossilised? No. And still got a chicken in it? Well, it wouldn't be edible, but they're assuming that, yeah. There's something inside it still. There's something inside it still. A thousand years old. It's a thousand years old. Now, where they found this egg in in particular is in in a cesspit. Okay. In a, in a waste uh-huh. pit yes. um, from the uh, Israel Antiquities Authority-led excavation of the Byzantine-era cesspit in the city of Yavni. So they've gone to this Byzantine-era cesspit. They're digging it up to see what they can find. And they find all kinds of stuff in there. They find, like, Islamic bone dolls. and. Like, well, this is... these. I mean, these are the best things to dig to, to, for archaeologists ever to find is to, you know, dig in a rubbish dump, mm. dig in a cesspit... Mm. I mean, this is the place where you're going to find all kinds of cool stuff from antiquity. Yeah, well, where they just throw stuff away. And th- and that's what they found, like all this cool stuff. But they found a 1,000-year-old egg. egg, which is just... But How yeah. did they even get it out without breaking it? Well, this is... They must have just been digging real lightly. I, I don't know. Using, uh, using a brush. Using a brush. Like, they must have excavated enough to where they're like, okay, we're at, like, you know, because every historical site has some big layer of dirt on top of it. It's being filled in. And so yes, you, you start to, with an excavator and then you... Then you come in with the, the tiny, shovels and then... And then the tiny trowels. And then yeah, brushes and really trying to, to, to preserve what's there. And so at that level, they're coming in. And, and yeah, so they've just been super fascinated by the fact that this egg has been preserved perfectly. But yeah, literally in poo. And like, that's that's yep. incredible. And it's been a huge discovery for them. Nice and soft. And, uh, yeah, they said, yep, some of the uh, yolk remained, and they're currently doing DNA um, analysis. The interesting thing about it as well is that they find ostrich, ostrich eggs 
a bit more often. Well, that's a pretty hard egg. Yeah, that's the thing is because ostrich eggs are super thick. Yes. Super big. Like, Easy but to a, preserve. But a chicken egg. No, that's like soft as. Soft as, tiny. But yeah, they've found it. And, and it's got yolk in it. Like it's got this, there's something in there. Like good stuff. All right. I wonder whether it was fertilized or not. Ooh. Nah, I, I, I don't. Because the other thing too, it's been thrown into the cesspit at some particular point. Mm. And it's landed plonk on the bottom, mm-hmm. and it hasn't broken. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty impressive effort. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, it's the, not like you would go to a cesspit and carefully place it there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be getting near that that cesspit, bro. Yuck. Ah, oh, but dude, check this out. Okay, this last world, everyone is. Breakfast. Yeah, that's why we're going to be talking about something else that's re- actually really, really good. We're going to be talking about breath mints, Lyle, but breath mints that are made by a university that actually rebuild tooth enamel and whiten your teeth. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so this is cool because, and this is going to sound like a bit of a of a um, uh, maybe a Colgate ad or some kind of ad for a toothpaste company, but uh, it's not because this isn't a product yet. This is just something that scientists at the University of Washington it's are conceptual. Yes, it's in concept, but they've been doing clinical trials, Ooh. and they've found that this mint that they've created is amazing uh, for those two reasons. It whitens teeth. It's a lozenge that whitens teeth, but also rebuilds enamel. Now, this is important. Can they please make it in a different flavour other than mint? Why, wow, mint's fantastic. I hate mint. Oh, get lost, bro. It's disgusting stuff. <laughs> no, yeah. It's okay on potatoes. Okay, okay, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's okay on potatoes. That's, that's it. That's what it. about in potatoes. chocolate? No. Oh, that's, oh, that's just, just, just feral. Dude, mint chocolate is the best. Ugh. What do you mean? Ugh. I am Ugh. so, Lyle, I'm so disappointed in you. That's so gross. Like, I can't believe you don't like mint slice. It's like the best thing ever. No. I, haven't, I haven't eaten no. mint slice in like two years. Um, actually, I ate a vegan mint slice. It was amazing. But anyways, this particular lozenge they found, the reason why it's so epic is because um, conventional teeth whitening treatments uh, use hydrogen peroxide. And hydrogen peroxide is like, one of its other main functions is breaking down enamel. Yes. And so it like severely reduces the rigidity and strongness of enamel and your teeth. Whereas this whitens your teeth, builds up enamel, and uh, just leaves you with a happy, healthier smile. Man, I should be their spokesperson. I am doing an amazing job marketing <laughs> their product. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so the Pew Research Centre has recently done research and projections on the growth and decline of religions around the world. Mm. They included in that research uh, a category called the unaffiliated, which is pretty important in today's society because it's a fairly large group, particularly here in Australia, United States and Europe. Mm-hmm. And out of all of the world's religions, which one do you think is declining the fastest? Hmm. Thinking, thinking, thinking. Let's see what Lawson has is to it, say. Is it the unaffiliated? It is the unaffiliated. Mm. You went with the obscure because you were thinking Lyle's putting out a trick question? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. But at the same time, like, it makes sense. Like, um, whilst the, like, secularization in the West is growing, um, everywhere else people are becoming more religious. And the thing with the unaffiliated is that they have incredibly low marriage rates and incredibly low birth rates when they do get married. Mm-hmm. And so they're basically being bred into oblivion um, at the moment. So the fastest, fastest declining uh, uh, group in the world is 
Um, the unaffiliated Christianity is on the decline. Decline. Islam will be dominant uh, world religion by 2050. Uh, Buddhism will remain stagnant. Uh, Hinduism and Judaism will be up slightly. Uh, India will overtake Indonesia as the world's largest Islamic country. And four wow. out of ten Christians in the world will live in sub-Saharan Africa. Wow. Yeah, some big changes coming in the next 30 years. Wow. That's wow. all just in 30 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, so population growth... Um, through uh, population growth through to 2050 will be about 35%. Uh, Christianity is going to kind of maintain at about 35%. The unaffiliated will be running at about 9% mm-hmm. uh, during that same period. And um, so they'll, they'll, they'll basically go from maybe 1.1 to 1.2 uh, billion, primarily in Europe and the United States. And this is because they they this this particular group don't marry and they don't have children, um, and if you rely only on conversions, then you're going to be in trouble because there is a lot of switching that takes place, uh, and they also have an aging population. Unaffiliated, thirteen percent of the unaffiliated are above the age of sixty. Oh wow! Uh-huh. Whereas in Islam, only seven percent are above the age of sixty, mm-hmm. and so this is going to be a big change for our world. Uh, when, when we look at switching uh, from Christianity to the unaffiliated, will be about 97 million going that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, from uh, the unaffiliated to Christianity, about 40 million. So people probably, I, I guess you would be in that category, somebody who's come from the unaffiliated yeah. across to Christianity. Um, the two religions that are going to receive the greatest loss from switching, in other words, people leaving that religion for another religion, is Buddhism and Judaism, which I find really interesting. Yeah. Because I find that, you know, in Western countries like Australia, it can be very trendy to be philosophically a Buddhist. But also at the same time, like, I think it's it's interesting with Judaism because you are, like, genetically Jewish. Yes. They're proselytized. um, Both nationality and... Uh, by religion. And so... So this research is focusing on religion. Yes. And so, for instance, if you take somebody like Doug Batchelor, who's ethnically Jewish, uh-huh. but is but professes Christianity, then he's counted in this research as somebody who's come across from Judaism mm. to Christianity. Mm. Which, which is interesting to me because it's like, okay, yeah, there's the appeal then is, is greater outside of your religion that you're born into, like that you are ethnically a part of, than the one... Yeah, it's very interesting to see which direction the the switching is going. Now, there's there's long been a, I I guess, an urban myth floating around that the divorce rate in Christianity is about the same as what it is in the secular world. Mm -hmm. And so research has come out to show that that is simply not the case. Yeah, wow. And so... Um, amongst church-going Christians. So now we're talking about church-going Christians, which is a very, very different category to people who profess Christianity. Mm-hmm. So amongst church-going Christians, they report a 15% higher relationship quality than non-church-going Christians. So this mm-hmm. is comparing Christians with Christians, but you know, basically active ones with non-active ones um, has a correspondingly lower divorce rate and a much lower divorce rate than, of course, the unaffiliated. Um, Now, of course, when the research is done on spouses that pray together once a day, Mm -hmm. 
their marriage success rate is 97%. Wow. There's a very simple formula for a successful wow, marriage. Wow, there you go. That's awesome. That's a very, very simple formula for a successful marriage. Mm. Okay, so what else we've got here? We've got the case of uh, Maya Forstater. Uh, who worked for the Centre for Global uh, Development. She recently tweeted that men cannot change into women, that sex is immutable and not to be confused, conflated, sorry, with gender identity, which mm. I think is a very reasonable, balanced statement because a person can have a different gender identity that doesn't change their sex. Uh, this was, uh, she was told this was offensive and exclusionary behaviour. She was fired on the spot. Uh, when it was appealed at the tribunal, Judge James Taylor said that uh, these comments were not worthy of respect in a democratic society, went through to the appeal court, where the appeal judge actually stated that the uh, tribunal had erred in law and that it was not illegal to express personal opinions on a person's, on a person's personal social media. Mm-hmm. And therefore, because it's not illegal to say that, um, then those opinions were protected under the Equality Act. So it's ah. interesting. It's interesting how so many companies and judges and tribunals are making decisions based purely on uh, what should we say ideology. Mm-hmm. That have nothing to do with law. He said this, just as the legal recognition of civil partnerships does not negate the right of a person to believe that marriage should only apply, should only apply to heterosexual couples, becoming the acquired gender for all purposes within the meaning of GRA does not negate a person's right to believe, like the claimant, that as a matter of biology, a trans person is still their natal sex. Mm. So it's not illegal to believe scientific fact. Okay, so this is where my mind comes into it. It's like, okay, but if she, if she did something that breaches company policy, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter what the laws, whether it's illegal or not. Is she, whether it's illegal or not, it yeah, breaches. This was, this was not uh, a breach of company but policy. But this is, this is the point, is that she, she's been, you know, yeah, ostracized for this. And yeah, for breaking the law. For breaking the law, uh-huh, which, uh-huh. again, she hasn't. So it's like from every perspective. Like, yes. He said, both beliefs may, may well be profoundly offensive and even distressing to many others, but they are beliefs that are and must be tolerated in a pluralistic society. Mm. Uh, go for it. That's uh, fantastic. Okay, real quick, I did talk about uh, Michael Packard, who was diving for lobsters. Yeah, well. And was swallowed by a humpback whale. <laughs> Now, he couldn't go down the esophagus because the esophagus was too small, but it was rather ter- terrifying experience until the whale spat him back out. And, of course, humpbacks open their mouth very, very wide when they're feeding. Mm-hmm. And this whale swallowed him by accident, got a big surprise and had to surface to the top and spit him back out again. So modern-day Jonah right there. That's incredible. Okay. That's so incredible. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. But 40 days, okay, if you, if you do some research there, that should give it away. Mm. All right, uh, joining us on the phone this morning is Camilla Scaff. Uh, Camilla, welcome to the show. Good morning, it's good to be back. Camilla, it's great to have you on the show this morning. Now, of course, you are the health director for, the, for our church in the North New South Wales region. And as health director, we are super keen to hear what you have to talk about today. Oh, I'm super excited to be back today. And I do remember the last time, if you recall, we did talk about seven different things that um, people could eat, uh, foods that would help with their headaches. 
Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yes, very, and very good uh, information. Yes, and I do remember that you, Lyle, had some questions about, specifically about legumes. And you're wondering if we could, um, yeah, talk a little bit more. And because of lack of time, we didn't, we couldn't talk more about legume. So I brought a little bit segment to just talk about legume because it's a really controversial um, thing these days. A lot of people think that um, legumes could be good for them, and other people think they could be bad for them. So today we're hoping to debunk this uh, myth about legumes being bad because they're really good for you. And I want to talk a little bit about the legumes and why they're important in our diet. Ah, that's fantastic. So when we talk about legumes, we're talking about beans, right? Basically, kind of beans, beans and lentils, that kind of thing. Yeah, so interesting. The legumes, the word legumes actually comes and they describe the seeds of the plants. And these plants are usually about like lentils, peas, chickpeas, beans, soybeans, spinach. So I don't know if you've ever seen um, all of these plants in nature. The only one that I haven't seen yet is lentils. I have not seen lentils in the pod. But pretty much the peanuts and peas and all the beans and everything else, I've seen them in the pod. What about you? Okay, so I, I don't think I've seen that many of them in the wild. I've certainly seen, let me see, peas and beans growing in my backyard where I plant a garden. But something that just sort of caught my attention while you were saying that was peanuts. That's right. Isn't that isn't isn't that a uh, isn't isn't that a nut? Well, it actually comes under the legume family, according to Healthline and according to some of the dietitians and the nutritionists from the books that I've researched. So, peanuts is actually very very high in protein. So, I think because of its structure, because like again, legumes is describing the beans or the uh, sorry not the beans the the seeds of the plants of these legumes um in which case uh beans when you eat beans or peanuts or soybeans or peas or lentils they're really the seed of these plants that you're eating so it is a plant food and uh interesting enough peanuts follow more the category and the family of beans of uh beans and legumes because of what uh, nutritional components and also the nature of its uh, seed. So isn't that interesting? That's fascinating. Always something new to learn. Yeah, nuts are as well seeds of of plants, but um, they usually follow a slightly different component in terms of what what they offer. Okay, so Mm. the thing about legumes, the the most important thing about legumes uh, for you to remember is the reason why they're so important in someone's diet. And actually, in most diets in the world, especially on areas where they have limited uh, sources of nutrients, legumes are very important. Um, so because they provide protein, which is an, an essential component of our body, it provides the structure for like muscle, the elasticity. It actually helps on the sides. We couldn't see, with our eyes cannot um, function well without protein and so many other things that our body needs. It's like a real part of the feel for the body. But not only protein, 
actually fiber as well. And the beauty about uh, legumes is that they're both rich in protein and fiber, which we're finding now with the evolution of science that fiber is one of the key components for the body and for the brain because it is what feeds our gut bacteria. And we are, we probably have more, uh, we do have more gut bacteria than genes. So if you think about the importance of fiber, it's as important as protein, and legumes are rich in both of them. So it is probably one of the best and most essential foods that we can eat in our diet. So we've kind of like got a city full of little bugs floating around in our gut, and we need to keep mm-hmm. them well-fed because if we don't keep them well-fed and they get out of balance, then we get ill. Is that kind of how it goes? That's right. And that would be a whole talk in itself. We can definitely talk about that next time, about gut microbiota and what it likes and what it doesn't like. It's definitely a very interesting topic because it's also known as a second brain. So yes, when we are suffering from frogginess in our head or anxiety, and there are even studies that um, are tying uh, depression and linking that with um, uh, digestion and diet as well and types of food that people are consuming. So I do want to bring attention, though, that even though these legumes are rich in both protein and fiber, it's not only that. It also has high, a very high amounts and great amounts of vitamins like B12, B, B1, B3, B5, B6, and phosphorus and zinc, copper, and manganese. And I do want to mention that because a lot of people think they need to eat animal products for protein, like meat. And the reality is that animal products have zero fiber. So, yes, they do have a good source of protein, but they have zero fiber. And they have been nothing else compared to uh, these legumes, especially the zinc, which is really important for mental health as well. And a lot of people these days are having those components imbalanced because of the high intake of meat protein and the low intake of legumes. Okay, so when we talk about the fiber, and obviously it's good to, uh, you know, our, 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 uh, the bugs in our guts like to eat fiber, so we need to keep them well-fed, and fiber is a good thing to keep them well-fed, but it's also a good way of um, keeping our body regular as far as, you know, when we use the bathroom and that kind of thing goes and making that whole process much easier if you have meat as your protein without that fiber, does that make us less regular in using the bathroom? That's right. Constipation can be a consequence of lack of fiber in your diet, um, as well as if you are not used to having uh, fiber and you all of a sudden start having lots of fiber, you do need to have lots of water with it because lots of fiber without water can also um, resulting constipation. So as, as as you can be probably make sense, um, our body does need a good amount of fiber, but it also needs water and physical activities. So it can actually, everything that works in balance that can help us to go to the bathroom and have really beautiful and soft tools. How did our conversation end up in poo? I, I, I don't know. It's just, uh, well... <laughs> 
It kind of, you weren't here for the start of the show, but we did have a conversation about this right at the beginning because Lawson was talking about <laughs> some archaeology that was being done in the cesspit and it was very fascinating and yeah. it kind of just sort of ended up, <laughs> ended up being there. But anyway, it's an important part <laughs> okay. of our, our health is to be able to be regular. No, that's great. And since you're talking about things that, you know, like observing the poo and digestion and things that are good for digestion, I do want to mention that a lot of people are afraid of the legumes because of the lectins. Um, actually, lectins are a family of proteins that may constitute up to like about 10% of the total protein content in legumes. So it's actually, actually a very small amount compared to all of the uh, proteins uh, constituted in the legume. However, people may be sensitive or uh, resistant to digest uh, lectins, um, but don't be afraid. Uh, basically, um, it's just the way you cook them or the way um, you just uh, help your body to digest by providing a pre-digestion and just um, basically soaking legumes in water for about 12 hours before you cook them and cook them in high temperatures. So um, basically a proper preparation method will get rid of most of the lectins and that way it will facilitate digestion and it won't be a harm for the persons who may have a sensitivity to lectins. It's not everybody, but I know a few people may have a sensitivity. That's why they sometimes shy out from eating legumes because they're afraid of the pain that they may, may cause to them. Now, we live in a world of very highly processed foods. Uh, what about highly processed legumes? Because, I mean, you know, you think of, uh, you know, your, your typical meal of beans or what is going to have very, very little processing going into that. But say, what about something like tofu or soy milk? Um, yeah, these are a good idea or not a good idea when, you, when we really process okay. them? So basically, um, there are different types. So we, we do have processed foods and we have the ultra-processed foods. So when you come to beans that are in cans or like tofu or milk that are from legumes, uh, like tofu that you mentioned, they actually don't come in the, under the ultra-processed food categories because they are lightly processed, which what I mean is that, you know, basically by blending soybeans, cooked soybeans um, and blending some other legumes with water, it will basically produce milk. And uh, that's just in a very simple format. Some of them will have some stabilizers in them. So when you look into milk and its components, you want to go for milks that have the least components, mostly water and the bean. And some of them will have some stabilizer like, uh, um, you know, guar gum. Some of them might have um, uh, some oils, like sunflower seeds they might have to stabilize. And so that's what you want to go for. You want to be even be trying to make your own milk at home by just blending with water and then just um, going through a nice sieve and then just getting as much as possible, just the uh, smooth part of the milk. But those are like lightly processed that we call, and these would not harm health. What harm health the most is the ultra-processed ones, which means, let's say, you know those can of um, uh, Mexican um, spiced beans or refried beans? Those would be the ultra-processed ones that comes with lots of spices and lots of sodium. And, um, yeah, they're ready to eat, 
but they will represent a lot more harm to health because of the components of it, each can or the contents. So I would say if you're, you know, you are worried about processed foods, just look at the package and the fewer ingredients, the better it is. And with that said, the most, the least processed foods are the best for you. So, for example, if you can, you can cook the beans in your house after soaking them. That's the best to go. But sometimes it will be just easier to buy off the can and cook at home uh, just with some simple seasoning. So that's really a healthy option as well. And I think, you know, from my own experience, uh, being a bit of an amateur gardener, uh, you know, green beans, butter beans, these kind of beans, you know, peas, etc., are one of the easiest things that you can actually grow in your backyard. Uh, great to get the kids involved, great to get yourself out there in a bit of sunshine, and they taste so much better when you grow them yourself. That's right. And they taste fresher as well because, like, for example, we talked about peanuts, right, being part of the legume family. The peanut butter sometimes, um, it can be, if, you, if you're not eating it fresh, it could be harmful as well. So there are research that link um, especially when peanuts get um, rancid and, um, you know, old, it could become uh, very harmful for health and even poisonous in some aspects. So I would say when you are, uh, um, in, you know, getting these products that are uh, from uh, peanuts, that you make sure it's fresh, as fresh as possible and from a trusted source. That's fantastic. Camilla Scaff, thank now, you so much for joining us this morning. Yes. Well, I was just going to finish. Yes. <laughs> I was going to finish by saying that um, there is a very interesting article that just came this past week that is comparing people that have um, a high intake of legumes in their diet and a plant-based diet, and in some aspects, a little bit of fish only, that were compared to people who have um, high protein diets from other sources, from mainly animal sources, and they were comparing actually um, health workers that were in high exposure high exposure to patients with COVID and also got COVID and how their body reacted. And actually they were um, taken over almost 5,000 people um, through six different countries. And basically they found out that people that were having more legumes in their diet and a high plant-based diet and very little fish intake were the ones that did best in terms of the body fighting and the COVID and recuperating and uh, restoring health from these illnesses and not only COVID from similar other diseases. So yeah, if you are in an environment like we all of us that are exposed to disease, the best diet scientifically, it's still the plant-based diet. So even if it requires an extra effort for you to cook at home. And the other thing is that legumes are very inexpensive. When you buy legumes and you soak them in water, they grow in size. And just with one cup of legumes, you're already getting almost half of your protein amounts for the day. So just having a couple of coffee uh, cups of the day uh, for legumes will give you pretty much the protein that you need. Fantastic stuff, Camilla. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.